Cambridge 105 Radio is a winner at this year's Community Radio Awards. Silver, Community Show of the Year, The Alan Brigham Story. Most of us live in houses that aren't that old. And when we complain about people building on the green belt and people ruining the view from your house by building new houses, actually your house probably ruined the view from somebody else's house when it was originally built. Silver, Creative Radio of the Year, The East. Next, you'll be waving banners like those CND marchers in town. Could you hear yourself? And Peter and Sandra will be delinquents on the street. You mark my words. Dad! I haven't even gone out yet. And bronze, female presenter of the year, Lee Chambers. Woke up in the middle of the night to find my cat with his head in a glass of water. That cannot be the first time. Cambridge 105 Radio, award-winning community radio for the city and South Cambridgeshire. The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Cambridge Film Show, broadcasting here on Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire. Thanks so much to Ian Dayborn for the last hour, but now we're back for 2023. The most thoroughly excellent reviewers you will find in this county, or maybe some others, yes, it's the Cambridge Film Show. Christmas is over, the bells have rung in a new year, and you now know our most highly rated films of last year. But this year is going to bring us so much more, so many more cinematic treats, so we're going to have to start all over again and as we're moving into awards season fast you can expect lots of worthy releases over the next couple of months so we're going to start you off with six reviews today which straddle both the old year and the new multiplexes and streaming services i'm emma marchant in host chair to kick us off this year and joining me today are vicky air hello luke Irwin. good afternoon Lorcan O'Neill. Hello. Stuart Pask. Hello. And Simon West. Hello. We will be looking at Tom Hanks' Ode to Curmudgeonly Neighbours with Hearts of Gold in A Man Called Otto, Noah Baumbach's adaptation of Don DeLillo's postmodern epic White Noise, and a fictional year in the life of Empress Elizabeth of Austria with Corsage. Also stick around for a mix of murder mystery and gothic horror in Pale Blue Eye, and the true life story of the inspiring civil rights activism that came out of utter grief in Till. But first, we're going to take a trip back to the end of 2022 and back to Pandora for the first time in 15 years for the long-awaited follow-up to Avatar, Avatar 2, The Way of Water. see probably very visual for an audio uh, medium trailer for Avatar 2 The Way of Water. In 2009, James Cameron changed the visuals of cinema forever when Avatar was released. The story of the Na'vi, a peaceful blue race living in harmony with nature on a paradise like Pandora, set in the mid-22nd century. A combination of stunning visuals, 3D technology and a simple story led to the highest grossing film of all time. Inflation adjusted. Cameron 
Cameron has spent the intervening 14 years working on the sequels and just before Christmas, the first of a threatened three has been launched, The Way of Water. We return to Pandora to follow our hero from the first movie, Jake Sully, a returning Sam Worthington, now living in domestic bliss with his Navi wife, Natri... Natiri, Zoe Saldana and their four children. But a new threat from Earth must mean that they have to come together to protect Pandora again. Simon, this is a lengthy check-in, I think everyone's aware it's something like three and a quarter hours. Did the time fly by for you? Oh, I did not feel the uh, length at all. Um, Just felt like a normal film. I think just before Christmas, I've been looking forward to a good getaway for quite a while. And this film was just like the perfect holiday um, trip out to Pandora to relax for three hours and get away. Um, I am a big fan of the original, um, and I do like 3D cinema. I still think that it, the original Avatar is one of the most amazing visual things you can watch if you manage to see it in a 3D, and I managed to catch a re-release this year. So this had a lot of, you know, a lot to live up to for me. And for most of the time, it met it. Um, absolutely visually stunning this film can only be seen in the cinema in 3d as far as i saw see it's all at the imax i'm looking forward to going to see it again at some point um the effects are some of the most lifelike ones i've ever seen it's one of the reasons it's so expensive is the technology um you get down to the story the story is quite basic um not quite a repetition of the first but um you've got his family and his kids going out and being hunted down by the returning humans uh where they have to integrate into a new society um with the islanders and the water people while defending their homes and making you know sure they make it through to the next film um there were some hints of further stories in here which um such as uh, Sikorni Reaver's returning character, where she actually plays her daughter, um, where they hint um, at future things to come. And so not everything gets a rev- um, resolution in this film. Hasn't Cameron said that they've... But they've already filmed the third yeah. film and part of the fourth film, just so the kids can actually play their same age without... Yeah, I read too old, that. been doing a lot of things. And he said providing the box providing office Providing the up. box office sticks up. Well, and so far it's made one and a half billion. It's getting close to two billion. Um, it should still only make it the sixth most successful film of all time. Um, Thank you, Simon. But it, it's on its way and it deserves it. Um, well, not quite as, you know, jaw-dropping jaw as the first one. It is an absolutely amazing work of art. Okay, um, Lorcan, obviously Simon focused there a lot on the visuals, we got a brief touch in the st- on, on, on the story, which, you know, that's been one of the things that the reviewers, I would say the reviews have been very leaning on the visuals, it's had very mixed reviews. For you, has James Cameron hit the jackpot again, were you a huge fan of the original, or has this made you more of one? Did you see it in 3D? Uh, I, I did see it in 3D, I, would, I agree with Simon, I think that you, I'd be curious to watch it in 2D to see how immersive you, you get in the world of Pandora, but um, I would definitely recommend seeing it in 3D. I'm I'm always interested in James Cameron. He's very much an engineer. He comes from pretty much everything now from an engineering perspective. And people say his writing is cynical to appeal to the lowest common denominator, but he does that in, in such a way to finance these big projects he wants to make. What shocked me was just how bonkers this film is. It's insane. From beginning to end, it is just laugh out loud crazy. 
because he's coming at it from such obviously he's the sea guy he's i think he's still the deepest diver in the world and he makes all this stuff to go underwater he's clearly obsessed with like underwater and nature and all that stuff and the whole middle of the film is just people learning how to swim and from everyone i've talked to that's everyone's favorite part it's just kids swimming about and it's 3d and it's just like it's just kind of weird and mesmerizing and the the story kind of goes off the rails in various directions Eddie Falco just disappears, as as Simon charitably put it. It sets up other films. There's whole plot points that just do not appear in the second half of the film whatsoever. And I think James Cameron just said, think of it more as a series of TV episodes. But to be honest, it's so mesmerizing. It's so much fun. It's so weird. I, I'm looking at the cast list now. You've got up. I didn't even know half those people were in it. Um, because it's just you do get just get carried away, and it's coming from such a place of genuine passion from James Cameron. It's hard not to kind of just get into it. Okay, I was going to actually ask Luke about the additions to the cast. I must admit, I saw the first Avatar and I did fall asleep during it because I am not a fan of 3D. I find the glass too much being a glasses wearer and it gets really dark. And I was pregnant, so there you go. I fell asleep during the first one and I have not seen this. Um, this is coming from a, a genuine question base. So you've got obviously returning Sam Worthington and Zoe Saldana, but there seem to be some addition and Sigourney Weaver. But Kate Winslet, I think, is new to this, right? And um, Edie Falco. Um, CCH Pounder other people the additions to the cast are they good? I mean you can talk about the cast all you like but it doesn't really matter who is in this film I'm I'm afraid I'm going to be the dissenting voice on this film I had a lovely time for what felt like two and a half hours I was going along with it I thought this film looks spectacular. I looked at my watch to see how long was left, and we were 45 minutes in, and I had another <laughs> two hours or so to go. And yes, yeah, people learning to swim, it looks great, doesn't it? But there's nothing beyond that. Um, I think I suffered from... Because I saw the first Avatar again in a cinema. It was re-released, I think, October. So I'd already had three hours of Avatar. So by about four and a half hours of Avatar in the space of six weeks, I was done. You never wanted uh, to see Pandora you, again. Yeah, you see these people pop up. Like, Zoe Saldana, is, she is one of the most interesting things in the first film, and she's completely sidelined here. As is Sam Worthing, to some extent. It's all about the, the kids for the majority of the film. And this is where James Cameron, as a uh, screenwriter, really uh, falls on his sword here, because we've got, you know, a 60-something-year-old man writing dialogue for teenagers who were also played by people in their 60s, and they're, you know, they're saying like, oh, bro, that was crazy. Oh, Carl's come here. And it just completely falls apart if you're not invested in the, the visuals of the story. Okay, so, th- th- so, th- so we've got two very, very much in favour, one slightly less in favour. I was interested though, when you said, Simon, you were so ready for a trip somewhere else. I thought maybe that's why it's doing so well, because obviously it's been Christmas. Everyone's stuck at home with their family, so maybe the excuse it's- just to go and sit for three and a half hours and feel like you're on holiday watching people swim in gorgeous blue water is the way ahead. I mean, you should never doubt James Cameron, it's when it comes down to it. The film is simple. Um, the characters, you know, and the storyline are quite simple, but it does make it universally attractive to everyone especially around the world it makes it very accessible um it you know it's beautiful it doesn't need to be a deep film too many of the films are too complicated take you know three films to just set up the plots and things like that where which i must admit we just accuse this one of doing it um but it's relaxing you know you can go down there you're enjoyable you can get there you know what's going to happen i mean it's, on top of that there is also the action some of the best shot action scenes, you know what's going on, it's exciting, 
you know, guns, ships crashing everywhere. He doesn't forget that. I mean... We recently reviewed, obviously, Black Panther 2, which yeah. is also, there's a there's a large underwater element of that too. Does this, I'm going to, ha, wait till wait, you hear what I say. Does Avatar 2 blow those scenes out the water? <laughs> In terms of, sorry. It, it's <laughs> that another, wasn't as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> it's another level. Um, it, okay. re- it really is another level. Um, I, think, I think it's also important to say that, like, there's... I think the bar at the moment for escapist entertainment is pretty low. Uh, there just seems to be, following the pandemic, there's just lots of movies, lots of kind of dour dramas. And I, th- I think just anyone that comes in with just a, f- a free-spirited, just turn your brain off, enjoy this, travel to another world, I think is going to do very well. Same with Top Gun, where it's just like a, it's just like a fun, let's go on a ride it's with these, with these characters. And Avatar and Top Gun are the two highest-grossing films of last year. So Yeah, well, that's saying something, and isn't it? And I think that's a really good point from you, Simon, as well, to appeal to the, a, a global audience. And yeah, of course we can't, you know, I mean, James Cameron has, he certainly has a way with, a, a trick with making insanely successful films. Okay, that was Avatar 2, The Way of Water. It's a certificate PG, and it's screening at all C- it's Cambridge Cinemas, I believe, in IMAX 3D and 2D. Um, so, yeah, if you fancy three and a half hours of, of, of amazing, yet not too taxing entertainment, go and see it, because I can tell you we're moving into much more taxing films, I think, now. Um, let's move on to a streaming offering, and let's see what happens when The King of Mumblecore has taken on one of the classic 1980s American novels. Okay, roll film. You like that protein? That stuff causes cancer in laboratory animals, in case you didn't know. Either I chew gum or I smoke. What are these children, yours? was the slightly more active trailer for, or some of it, for White Noise. It's taken 40 years for Don DeLillo's 1985 satire, which made his name to make it to the screen. Director Noah Baumbach has teamed back up with the star of his Academy Award-winning marriage story, Adam Driver, and real-life partner Greta Gerwig to do so. White Noise, set mid-Reagan era, is the story of college professor J.A.K. Galbraith, Galbraith, played by Driver, his wife Babette Gerwig, their blended family, and the airborne toxic event which forces them to leave their home. Absurdist and lengthy, this is perhaps not for the faint-hearted. Vicky. Yes. The themes in this of media saturation, satire and academia and fear of death are as relevant today as they were back in the mid-80s, but the period mm. details in this are also a delight. What made this stand out for you? Um, I feel like, obviously, you just mentioned the period detailing. The whole set that was this this town, the college on the hill, the the housing, it's, it's lovely and like intricate to look at. But I feel like even though it was set in the 1980s, there is there's so much that's more present day in this i feel like the, it's set into three sections the first being everything like you do in your everyday life to distract you from the looming fear of death the second being what you will do when you're confronted with that and then the third is the aftermath but they use quite triggering words in this such as you know quarantine and virus and you know things that have been passed around in the past uh, two years or so so it felt like quite modern and like in feeling the wording of all of this but um in saying so i really enjoyed the three-part arc and uh it definitely had you come away from it feeling quite uh, emotionally drained having been through maybe similar things yourself 
Lorcan, you were a big fan of this, I believe. Um, and obviously, Adam Driver is in it as well. But I was thinking about um, Greta Gerwig and the fact that we've been thinking much more about her directorial stuff. Let's say with the upcoming Barbie movie, obviously being one of the most anticipated releases of next year, and Little Women being such a hit. How was it to see her back on back on screen? Are you a big fan of her acting work as well as her directorial stuff? Um, I think less less in terms of like technique. Well, I think Greta Gerwig's just got a very pleasant um, aura, and she's a perfectly fine actress. So it's kind of like those two just kind of gel and to make a very pleasant viewing experience. Obviously, Adam Driver. I am right. Noah Baumbach did do Marriage Story, didn't he? Yes. So Adam Driver's back, and yeah. he's he's clearly very good at like marriage dynamics, and a lot. A lot you can tell why he's gone back to Adam Driver because he's very. He's. I mean, Adam Driver's fantastic anyway. But I'm glad that Adam Driver's. Adam Driver's still doing the kind of in-between Robert Pattinson thing where he's a huge star and now he's trying to do weird little smaller independent projects and some of them hit, some of them don't. But for me, this one definitely hit. Um, and it's just, again, it's, I, think it'll, I think the first part, like Vicky says, it's split up in three parts. And I think the first part will put off a lot of viewers. They front-loaded it with all the kind of heady stuff that Don Delilo is, is kind of known for. I remember a while ago, David Cronenberg did Cosmopolis, which made the mistake of <laughs> doing a very literal interpretation of a very dense but short book. Honestly, um, only one of two films I've walked out of. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it, it's, it's just, it's, only, yeah. I've read the book and it's just a verbatim, whereas this is, it's incredibly visual. The, the sound, the music all plays a huge part. LCD Sound System has a wonderful original song to play over the end credits. Um, but overall, I think, um, just be aware it's going to be a little dense at the start, but it gets more fun. And there's there's a sequence where they escape from a certain facility, and it's just one of the most fun, dynamic sequences I've seen in a while. Yeah, I would agree. There's also an amazing scene with Don Cheadle, who's playing a fellow professor. Vicky's nodding because she, she and I were discussing how much we love that, where they're sort of doing it. And, and it's like an integrated scene, them both doing their lectures because Don Cheadle is talking about Elvis and Adam Driver is a lecturer in Hitler studies. And it, it's just, it was just brilliant to it's me, the memorizing. whole film. The whole chemistry, I feel like, Obviously, I know this is between Adam Driver and Greta, um, like family dynamic-wise, but the the kind of bromance between Adam Driver and Don Cheadle, with them just relying on each other for like you know, like comfort throughout these whole events, is is really. A great chemistry I didn't expect to see throughout this. Yeah, and the fact they're all just so needy, the neediness of academia I think, yeah. the fact that Adam Driver is always wearing his kind of cape to sit down in the canteen, I just love the touches like that. Luke, I'm going to come to you in a minute because I know you were really looking forward to this, but first of all I think we're going to come to the most dissenting voice in the room Simon, and this is unusual Simon because you are normally uh, you are normally positive about almost everything we see, so please tell us why you hate it, why noise so much It was awful, it was insufferable um, I'll kind I kind of wanted to like it, but it did have the fact I've not liked a Noah Baumbach or Greta Gerwig film so far, so it had a lot going against it. Um, all the characters were just uh, insufferable. It just seemed to be... I know he was trying to skewer academia and pretension and all of that, but it just kind of felt like he was stood there you know, screaming that the Emperor's got no clothes were standing there themselves absolutely stark naked. It's... You mentioned, I mean, glad that you like that scene where the um, Hitler-Elvis academia lecture battle. Um, I think that's going to be the real bellwether of the film because I just thought at that point it had just gone so far. It was insufferable at that point and it made it so much harder to get into it's a shame because the third act second act seemed a bit more interesting um and i was 
with the airborne toxic event and I was hoping it's going to like shift back to a more Wim Wenders y kind of film or reminding me of a film called A Miracle Mile that came out in the 80s, which is, you know, a kind of slightly more highbrow look at the apocalypse and, you know, how it affects family. But it soon, once it actually ended up in a quarantine, it just dribbled back. And after the car you know, car scenes, it lost me. I get it, Simon, it lost you. It, 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 Simon, I, I, I'm not going to no around. I mean, it, the film starts with a montage of the car crashes and it just seemed a lot more appropriate than they wanted it to. Luke, let me move to you because you you, you said how excited you were. In fact, you went to go and see this in its brief well, cinema release. I no, I saw, I saw it on the day that it was released on Netflix. I wasn't quite excited enough to <laughs> see it in the cinema. I think everywhere was showing Avatar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true enough. And after three and a half hours of Avatar, little time to go and see anything else. Okay, so you saw it the day it dropped on Netflix. Mm. So you were excited. Have you read the book? Were you excited? Are you, excited? Are you a big Noah Baumbach fan? Uh, I'm a huge huge Noah Baumbach fan and I'm a fan of Don DeLillo although I've not read White Noise but I've I'm, tried five it, times it, failed every time but I think for me I've gone back and forth about whether I like this film I think it's a film that has its moments of real sheer brilliance but it's a just it's too long for one um, and when we talk about because this is sort of in a series of postmodernist novels that they refer to as difficult to adapt. When we talk about books that are difficult to adapt, we normally refer to either the story or the structure, and sort of Lorcan mentioned about that you were um, impressed by its ability to adapt here. And I think in part, yes, it does um, capture what makes DeLillo an interesting writer. Um, but I feel like some of the themes, when they're put onto screen, don't seeing it the same way as you would expect from the prose. There's a film that it reminded me of was Paul Thomas Anderson's adaptation of Inherent Vice, which I think was a film that also struggled to capture the writer's voice. And when you put the absurdity onto screen, you're kind of left scratching your head thinking, does this... I know this is supposed to work, but I don't quite see it. I, I mean, for me, I'm I'm on the Lorcan and Vicky side here. I wasn't expecting... I didn't like Marriage Story that much. I'm not necessarily a huge no band, band, but I am, as I think I've well advertised on this show, a huge fan of Adam Driver. Um, and so for him, he... And for me, he, like, like Lorcan said, I think the dynamic of their marriage and their kind of messy, slightly messy, chaotic family was really the heart of this. But I'm going to come to your to two most positive reviews to say there's been a lot of talk about, obviously, the closing credit sequence. Yes. Um, yes, Vicky. <laughs> Was that the highlight that you were expecting? I mean, it did. did I, I must admit, I ended up leaving this film with a massive smile on my face due to that sequence, and it's the most marvelously choreographed. I feel like um, during the third act, like uh, Simon said, the second act is really interesting and engaging. The third act goes to places that, you know, leave you feeling interesting afterwards. But that resolution at the supermarket, because the supermarket is like a safe haven where life just continues going in this film and in real life. And the LCD sound system, like Logan said, just really lifts you up. And, you know, you've got... Um, this incredible dance choreography around the toilet paper aisle and you know all the cast are there having a great time and it's like an okay go video you're just so engaged with it until the very end and that's what you can leave smiling and think like yeah I've accomplished something by watching this. Okay, well, thank you, everybody. I think we'll leave it on that very high note. Come for Adam Driver, stay for OK Go. White Noise is a certificate 15 and is streaming on Netflix. Let's take a change in pace and travel to 19th century Austro-Hungary. Oh, I'm so sure. 
dann in dem richtigen Moment so. So und dann. That was part of the trailer for Corsage. Before Diana, Princess of Wales, there was Elizabeth, Countess of Austria, or Sissy, as she was known. One could say the royal megastar of her time. Originally from Bavaria, her marriage to Emperor Franz Joseph made her the longest-service Empress Empress of Austria, 44 years until her assassination by an Italian arcanist in 1898. Allegedly obsessed with her good looks and her tiny waist, Elizabeth has been best known in popular culture for a trio of films starring the young Romy Schneider, which were released in the 1950s. Uh, but I believe actually Simon was saying there's been an awful lot of films made about it in the last year, five alone. But in this one, Corsage, which is a French word for bodice, Austrian director Marie Kreutzer has taken a fictional look at one year of the Empress's life. Vicky Creeps plays Elizabeth, turning 40, worried about her waning looks and stuck in what seems to be a passionless marriage. Luke, I struggle writing the intro for this. This film feels a little like the nichest of the niche. Have you seen either of Kurtz's previous feature films? And if not, what drew you to this? No. Um, so I, I watched this purely to review it on today's show, and I was very concerned that I wasn't going to enjoy it because it's not necessarily in my ballpark. But I'm, I did enjoy this film. It's deceptively unorthodox. It has the sort of the conventions and the trappings of what you'd expect from a period drama. But... It has historical inaccuracies in it, deliberately so, starting with, like, there's a sequence where a carriage arrives and there's sort of a tractor behind it and you've got electric lights. And by the end of the film, it becomes patently obvious what's happening in the film and it creates an another layer to the film that I found helps the film stand above being purely a sort of a corset drama. Simon, you and other reviewers have noted that this could be a perhaps could be seen as a kind of companion piece to Pablo Lorraine's 2021 Spencer with um, Kristen Scott Thomas with Kristen Scott Thomas sorry Kristen Stewart Stewart <laughs> thanks everybody um, would you care to expand on that um when watching it, it did feel like I had seen this before um, when I saw Spencer. Um, to be fair, I really enjoyed Spencer when I did see it, and it was one of the surprising films of the year. And this one has a lot of the same themes. Um, you know, it, it's about a princess, um, empress, who's, you know, in the royal family against, probably much against her will. She doesn't really enjoy it anymore. She doesn't like being controlled by everybody else. She um, reacts by being concerned about uh, her eating and anorexia and trying to keep her weight down and how everyone else tries to control her and she's trying to rebel in her own little ways. It is very, very similar to Spencer. Um, and I think a lot of that is the themes this film was trying to get through, especially when, you know, you check the Wikipedia afterwards and you find out it has very little to do with reality. Uh, a lot of which is actually incredibly interesting, but this film didn't go there. Um... Vicky Creeps was absolutely amazing. I mean, she, she, like I said, she was a standout in Phantom Thread. And again, here, she, as, you know, as the Empress, just with a little rebellions here and there and trying to take control of her life and, you know, moving on in a very suffocating environment is something I think a lot of people can relate to. Yeah, I think it, well, it, is, a, it is a standout performance from Vicky Creeps. I last saw her, of course, in M. Night Shyamalan's Old, in which she's also one of the more interesting performances in that, but there, there's so much kind of restrained anger in this, and one of my favourite scenes was near the beginning, where she goes to an asylum, and she's fully dressed in purple, and she's giving out purple-violet candies, and one guy 
who's obviously, mm. you know, not in a good way, doesn't comment. She said, but last time I came here, you said I was beautiful. And you can see this kind of... It, it, I, I just think that this... Yeah, it was... I hated Spencer. I liked this a lot more. Um, mm. Possibly because it's not so close yeah. to us. You know, as, 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 a, as, as, you know, as a UK person, I know very little about the Empress um, Elizabeth of Austria. Oh. Um, I would also say that perhaps it's because Spencer was an incredibly suffocating film, whereas this is is it it's lighter. I mean, it's not light. It touches on things like eating disorders and loneliness, um, but it does have little little glimmers of light in it. It has bits of um, the favourite, the Yorgos Lanthimos film from a couple of years ago. So it has that scatological humour, little little things that I think help the film not get bogged down in necessarily being quite so yeah and there's, and there's a healthy attitude towards sex as well i would say yeah. they show elizabeth they, they show her as quite a sexual being which i enjoy you know which I, I thought was quite refreshing and you're right i think there's modern touches as well like the music and the soundtrack they they dance around to a version of help me make me through the night the, the chris christopherson they're sort of waltzing around it, it takes you about a minute to realize what's going on like you said and i thought that was really refreshing yeah i quite like the um introduction of her um meeting the inventor of cinema um, one of the claimed events of cinema and he shoots her rather than her getting painted in a portrait which you see and then you contrast and it's you know trying to say about how the cinema can represent vitality more accurate than the photograph and the um, painted image um, which I think a lot of saying about what the film was also trying to do here as well um, saying you know you don't necessarily need the truth of the other things when you go to cinema and I thought those scenes were really quite light so I think we're saying then that this is definitely an art house film, and it's but it is one to seek out. Would you say? Would, are you both happy that you had to review it for the show? Yeah, yeah, I had a pleasant time with it. I would say you wouldn't necessarily have to watch it at a cinema. It's not a particularly cinematic film, but um, seek it out when it yeah, is streaming. Seek it out at some point. It's a certificate fifteen. I believe it's still showing at the Arts Picture House. I'm looking at my Arts Picture House colleagues. Yes, it is. <laughs> so it's course, Art is a certificate fifteen and is showing at the Arts Picture House. Cambridge 105 Radio. Have you ever thought about volunteering? Here at Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm Lucy Malazzo, and five years ago, I did just that. I wanted to learn about radio and kind of thought I could help out behind the scenes. Since then, I've read the news, have woken up to a very early alarm for Cambridge breakfast and recorded promos like this one. Right now, Cambridge 105 Radio is looking for new volunteers to join the team. And if you fancy getting involved, visit cambridge105.co.uk slash volunteer. CKLG Accountants are a friendly team of accountants and tax advisors with big firm expertise. I'm Lawrence, Director of CKLG, responsible for business services. We understand that running a successful business brings many challenges. Our experienced business services team provide a bespoke service and offer professional advice at every stage of your business journey, allowing you the freedom to focus more on what you do best. To find out more, call us on Cambridge 810100 to arrange an initial chat with one of our specialists or visit our website cklg.co.uk cklg accountants your partner in business your partner in life cambridge 105 radio you are listening to the cambridge film show here on cambridge 105 radio with me emma marchant and luke vicky stewart simon and lorcan we still have till and the pale blue eye to talk about but for now let's check in with forrest grump 
No. What is he doing? It's parallel parking. Parallel to what? Don't let that little rat dog piss on my walkway again. Ignore him. He has no idea who's doing that. Well, it was one of you. Sorry I didn't get here earlier. Whole neighborhood is falling apart these days. Nothing works when you're not home. Apologies for the very slight language in that, if anyone was offended. That was A Man Called Otto. In 2015, Swedish director Hannes Holm adapted Swedish bestseller En Man Som Hette Over into a big domestic and international art house hit. It's only a mere seven years later, and here is the remake, the Hollywood remake, directed by Mark Forster and starring Tom Hanks, A Man Called Otto. It tells the story of Otto Andersen, a curmudgeonly widower who focuses only on visiting his wife's grave and acting as a one-man neighbourhood watch on steroids. But when new neighbours move in, it forces Otto to reassess both his objectives and his life. Stuart, we took in one of our rare group viewings for this, and I heard giggles and a sniffle from you. Did it hit the right, right emotional beats? Um, for me, yes. I mean, um, in, in our in our group uh, WhatsApp chat that we have when we talk about organising the show, it was mentioned it was quite a depressing film. And um, I sort of wondered, oh dear, what have I got myself into this time? Um, but actually... That said, having gone to see it, I have no regrets. Um, it tackles um, very challenging themes, um, but it does them uh, with, with, with good humour. Every time um, there is a, a prolonged scene, which, you know, some of the more depressing scenes in the film are very prolonged, intentionally so, because they're, they're setting up a situation which could end with tragedy. But immediately, uh, Tom Hanks' character, Otto, he's... Um, interrupted by his his neighbors and and is is it suddenly goes back to being a laugh a minute and it's it's a it's a roller coaster in that regard in so much as that it's got this underlying serious theme throughout uh, and it, and it but it always sort of perks up again and and it makes for a really satisfying cinema experience and and i wasn't bored i really enjoyed it i enjoyed all the characters especially tom hanks because i'm a huge tom hanks fan um and for me it, it it reminded me a lot of some of his other performances perhaps more recently um in in finch where his character is dealing with very difficult uh, and, and dire situations and, and a little bit it tackles some of the themes that are uh, approached when he's in castaway and those came back to me and they sprung to my memory and they made me appreciate it all the more vicky Mark Forster made his name, I think, probably with the character-based drama Monsters Ball that won Harry, Be- Harry Halle Berry her Oscar list years ago. But mm. then he moved on to make Bond's Quantum of Solace mm. and World War Z. Then he also said he wanted to move back to making smaller stories or smaller films, if you like. Um, has you know? Has do, do you do you feel that his directorial eye has worked on this? Um, so the only obviously I've seen World War Z. I had I had I did not place this together at all that it was the same director. But if you say he's the director of perhaps Christopher Robin, which is a, like you know also has like a it's more mellow and wholesome and has underlying themes throughout, then I would completely see this. I did not expect this versatility, and I didn't um, from him. But this story. Um, having not seen the original, uh, is completely just overwhelmingly great, like heartwarming and tears and happiness. And um, I would not have seen this from the director of World War Z. Simon, Vicky mentioned there the original, and I submit I watched that 
in order to do look at me so prepared for the new year so i watched the original in um in order to sort of to, to think about this and review this and i'm not going to lie this is almost a, a it's almost like a shot for shot remake the sets the sets look the same the it, it's i think the original swedish one stars a famous swedish actor who used to be who played who was the original wallander in sweden obviously this has tom hanks who's such an engaging performer that it's hard not to not, not to fall in love with him which is maybe a bit of a problem but i watched the original and felt that like we said this has very strong suicide references in it and that fits with the original there is a sort of that scandy core of melancholy if you like which worked well with it i know you watched it a while ago i think you probably reviewed it for this for this very show back in 2015 do you think that, that this carries through to an american reboot like you say or, or did, did you, was, was this needed really is what i'm saying or should we be pushing people out there to go and use their eyes and watch something with subtitles i <clears throat> Well, having seen the original, um, I think we agree that me and you, having seen the original beforehand, we act, you know we preferred the original film. Um, but taking on everyone else's opinion, they've all enjoyed the remake. Um, I would urge people if they have an inkling of watching it, is you know seek out the original if you want to. I saw it seven years ago, and for some reason it must have stuck with me because I remember when seeing the trailer for Otto, I was like, I've seen this film. It's already been made. We've already done this. Um, and one thing I could not remember, though, were the all the amount of suicide um, in the plot. Where you know, during this film, Tom Hanks does you know attempt to commit suicide four times, and it is quite long scenes at a time before trying to find out. Um, you know, before coming back and enjoying the rest of the story. And I felt it. It felt very, very harsh. I think there was something about seeing the original Swedish. There was something about the, you know, the cultural um, settings, the melancholy, the Scandinavian flavour to it, which made it a bit, little bit more palatable. Um, I think there were lots of, you know, cultural touchstones and seeing the other things in, which uh, don't necessarily want to be patronising, but you know, seem comfier when watching it. You know, yeah. in Switzerland, where here it seemed false and harsher Maybe. and not as nasty, and it didn't quite fit as nice. Maybe they could have changed it a little, made it they a little bit more. Could have made it a little bit more American. It's quite obvious where a lot of the things were seemed to be crowbarred in. So, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. It was a good film, but. I definitely felt left wanting at the end of it. But and actually, interestingly, that's, that leads me to a question. Lorcan, um, the, the, obviously they used the suicide attempts as then a flashback device to flashback to see the true story behind Otto's marriage, what's turned him into the man he is, because, you know, as it, it's the old adage that your life flashes before your eyes. Yeah. Did that work for you or did you find it a little bit too neat? Um, oh no! I mean, going in, you know exactly what it is. Nothing in the film surprised me. Like you, you go in, and you've got the dead wife, you've got the sad old man, you've got the cute kids, you got the cat, you got the spicy but likable neighbor. You know where all this is going. Um, but it's it's just it's just like different types of cheese, isn't it? This is American cheese, and as opposed to the the, the other the original film is going to be Swiss cheese or whatever cheese they make in Sweden. It's just it's a different flavors of the same thing. Then it knows what it is. You're just going in to have a uh, have a feel good experience. That's a, that is what it is. It's it's legitimate 
for me, I think they just pushed it a little too far with the soundtrack was... I mean, I, I was shocked at one point that it didn't just play Candle in the Wind. It was Everything was so obvious. I think at one point he's the, the Christian rock song saves his life, that kind of stuff. I think it was when Kate Bush came on the soundtrack. Yes. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I may have rolled my eyes a little bit. Um, Luke, this is obviously very much a, a, a vehicle for Tom Hanks. We talked... I mean, you know, you can't really... The, you know the guy is, is 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 a living legend but who else did anyone else stand out in the cast for you um yeah well it's interesting that um because tom hanks really carries this film and law can sort of dismissively um mention sort of the supporting cast uh, mariana trevino was the uh, uh how did you describe her Oh, the, the, well, I'm, spicy the, the, but well-meaning. The, the, the spicy the, the, but well-meaning the, the archetypal and character. She, but she's, she's yeah, fantastic. She's delightful in this film. And I have to say, there's a, there's a lot of cynicism in this room. Um, this film is cheesy. I mean, it's Thomas Newman does the score, I think. I mean, he's like he's basically copy and pasted um, Scent of a Woman. And there's, there's so much of Scent of a Woman in this, where it's like, it's so eggy, it's so saccharine. But I'm an absolute sucker for this, and I I'm embarrassed at how much I enjoyed this film. And I think one thing that no one's touched on here is, you know, at the heart of the very dark humour of this film, it's a film about loneliness. It's about a man who's lost everything. And I think I, the, the original film passed me by, so I can only judge it on this film. And I think we're in an age of loneliness now. We've just come out of three years of lockdown where we've had people being completely isolated and it broke my heart seeing Tom Hanks be so sad. It, and I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. It res Actually, that bit really resonated with me mm. because I, it made me think of my parents because when my father lost my mother, it wasn't as young, but he was, you know, the absolute, the bereft when you lose your soulmate. And that's, yeah, and, and whoever played, I don't know, I didn't recognise the actress who plays his wife in, in flashbacks. And she's very, it's very kind of soft focus. In the original, again, the wife has a little bit more of a kind of sassy character about it. And she was very soft focused. But I did think that Kaylee Hyde and um, Truman Hanks, Tom Hanks's unknown son, who played the young Otto and the young Sonia, that was a really, they, they, they had a really sweet and believable chemistry. Yes, Stuart, you wanted to finish. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, sort of contrary to the point, it was, it, it's, it's different to see Tom Hanks playing someone who's like quite so depressed, but but the flip side of that, it's really enjoyable watching him play a grumpy old man, and it, and, it, and, and that's what really gets a lot of the laughs throughout the film, um, d despite the sensitive um, subject matter. Yeah, well, I think in general, then, I would say that was a thorough recommendation from us all and from me and Simon to also seek out the Swedish one because we're being a little bit, you know, a little bit snobby in here, but not really. A Man Called Otto is a certificate 12A and that is for strong suicide references, so please be aware of that and is showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. So let's stick with cinema releases and we're going to listen to a bit of the trailer for Till. Did you have a son who in his lifetime was known as Emmett Till? Yes, sir. He ever caused any trouble in Chicago? No more than any other boy. Did you caution your son how to conduct himself in the city? Are you listening? They have a different set of rules. Be small down there. In 1955, America and the world was shocked by the brutal lynching of Emmett Till, a black teen from Chicago who travelled to Mississippi to spend the holidays with his cousins. And unaware of how high racial tensions could run over the unwritten rules of Jim Crow in the South, he whistled at a married and white Carol Carolyn Bryant. Three days later, he was abducted and beaten to death by her husband and her brother-in-law. He was 14 years old. 
Till takes us to after the killing when his mother Mamie took her grief and righteous fury and made it count for something, more than something really, in the civil rights movement. Simon, this is the follow-up to Nigerian-American director's Chinone Chukwa's well-received clemency, which I must admit I haven't seen. Um, she's only 37 years old. Judging from this, and if you have seen Clemency, I don't know, would you say she's a talent to watch? Oh, he's definitely a talented uh, director. Um, this film took a very difficult subject matter and made it immensely hopeful um, film, which, you know, a little bit of a surprise there, but I thought I thought going in it was going to be a lot more harrowing than it was because the story is just so horrific. Um, you mentioned Whoopi Goldberg, the producer, I mean, Silly Thunder, <laughs> you know, and stars in it, and said she'd been watching it, waiting for Danielle Deadweiler pretty much to come up and play uh, Mamie Till Mobley. Um, and she was just an absolute force, um, you know, absolutely fantastic throughout. Couldn't take her eyes off her when she was on the screen. Well. I mean, you literally can't. Uh, I mean, literally couldn't. At one point, I mean, at one point, there's a long courtroom scene at the end, which is a long take, single on her face, and it's. I don't want to, you know, criticise it and just say, "Oh yes, this is the Oscar moment," but wow, Um, you know, it's like we will be seeing much more of her. She was absolutely fantastic. The whole cast. I mean, Jalen Hill playing Emmett Till as a young, lovable, you know, fourteen-year-old seemed really, you know, sweet kid. The you know the reconstruction of the lynching was quite restrained, you know, which has to be. But it's still but it's, absolutely shocking if you don't know the full story and you think, or even like I thought I knew the story, but you really don't know it, w- what happens. And I, then, well, I think of course you the, the the interesting well not interesting thing, but the thing about the, I I thought this was very much a film of of two halves almost three halves. I found the first half an hour incredibly difficult to watch because obviously that is the lead up lead to up. Emmett or Bobo as they call him going down to Mississippi and because you know what's going to happen it's just so painful to watch this 14 year old kid who you know is a year younger than, than my twins are right now and you could yeah. you know he's so he's so sassy and so cheeky and and, and it, it, it and you know what's going to happen that was the most difficult but like you say they're very restrained but then they're not restrained in showing the body because of course Mamie Till was not restrained in showing no. the body she insisted on an open casket and that was she insisted on the pictures being shown because she wanted everyone to see what had happened to her son. And, of course, the true horror of this whole, whole story is it was Mississippi, so those guys got off scot-free, admitted to the murder two years a year later in a magazine, and because of the double jeopardy rule, could never be tried for it again. So they lived as three men their entire lives. But... It was thanks to Mamie Till and this, you know, she worked very hard with the NAACP and I think that comes and you see that when she sees her son's body, that's the, that, that, that's when this tips from maybe, you know, from being about a mother's grief into a sort of crusading civil rights story. I might say it's a little formulaic, but that seems. But that's very, very. It's a, that's. I can't, you can't be unfair to this film because I think it's telling mm. such an incredibly important story. I mean, my only complaint about it really was the uh, soundtrack, um, which I thought was overbearing in places about trying to get the message over and how you should be feeling. And but that you know, that's a minor complaint about a nitpick about. 
I think you're right. Films, I mean, like we said, um, her um, Daniel Debweiler is barely out of shots. I mean, yeah. she carries this film, and, and the close-ups of her eyes, and the, and I think she, I read somewhere she's really studied the mannerisms and also the accent of of a woman who's because she's come from the south and now she's living in the north. You know, in a, in in a, in a much in a more liberal society, but um, the, the cadences in her in her voice are just amazing. I felt like I was perhaps watching the real Mamie Till. That is, it, it is an incredible, an incredible and remarkably assured performance which carries the whole film. I mean, the film is still still important, it's still timely. I mean, the fact that they only passed the anti-lynching law last year, uh, 67 years afterwards, just shows just how timely it is and it sounds like they'll be waiting for that to at least have a little bit of good news at the end to, you know, to make this film. Um, but all I can do is like, uh, yeah, recommend, go see it, educate yourself. Yeah, I would do. I was surprised um, at how... I mean, I did do American Studies, I said, at university. I was surprised talking about my husband and my sister, and I said, if I said the name Emmett Tilty, would that mean anything? Yeah. Maybe my family are not as educated as <laughs> I think they are. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it's it's powerful. And, again, you know, yes, it's emotion. I thought I was going to be absolutely broken by this, and I wasn't. I was more... You're, you're, ang- you know, you're angered by it, as we should yes. be. Um, um, it doesn't feel exploitative. It's not... You know, it's not 90 minutes of stress and harrowing. It is actually, you know, you can see the positives coming out of it, even through the anger and the, you know, the righteousness from it, um, which just make it, you know, a lot more watchable and recommended. For sure, and I'll be interested to see, because I haven't heard any Oscar buzz, actually, for her performance, but it mm. is and it is definitely an Oscar-worthy performance. And I've never seen Danielle Debweiler in anything else, no. but now I'm going to be seeking her out. It was, yeah, Till is... Thoroughly recommended by Simon and I. Seek it out for both educational and cinematic reasons. It's a certificate 12A, but that is a it's a pretty brutal 12A, and it's showing at all three Cambridge cinemas. It was released yesterday. I know this is hard to believe, but we have reached our last film, and I'd like to say we're saving the best till last, but that would be a bit of a lie. Let's listen to some of the trailer for The Pale Blue Eye. Is it true? You want solicited a confession with nothing more than piercing look. With enough patience, a suspect will often interrogate himself. Detective Landor, one of our cadets, hanged himself last night. That's a matter for the coroner. I'm afraid that's not the end of it. His heart was carved from his chest. Oh, the drama in that trailer. Um, so actually, after our joint visit to uh, Otto last night, everybody then committed themselves to the show and went home and watched The Pale Blue Eye, uh, ready for today's show, because it only landed on Netflix yesterday. It is director Scott Cooper, and he has teamed up with his Hostiles and Out of the Furnace star, Christian Bale, for the third time to bring us his adaptation of Louis Bayard's period novel. Uh, Bale is on peak bearded and hollow cheeked mode, and he is playing the world weary and alcoholic detective, of course he's world weary and alcoholic, Augustus Landor, summoned to West Point Academy in 1830 to investigate the grisly murder of a cadet, as you just heard there. To help him, he has to enlist the help of another, uh, the help of actually one of the other cadets, which is none other than the young Edgar Allan Poe, played by Harry Potter alumni Harry Melling. Lorcan, I'm going to start with you because, of course, you famously do love Christian Bale. Mm. How did you find this movie? Um, well, I mean, it's, he, he, Christian Bale's trying to, his best to hold up the film, but yeah, I, it's well documented that I think he's one of the worst actors. I've never seen a performance where I 
my jaw didn't drop at just how atrocious he is. But this is this is a film of just spellbinding mistakes. You've got uh, a who's who of British alumni actors all doing pretty terrible post-revolutionary New York accents. Um, and it's the writing is where it really falls because it's based on a novel um, and they haven't adapted the dialogue for a film. Because a similar film in, con- in kind of premise, I suppose, would be A Few Good Men, where you've got the writing in A Few Good Men is so good because everyone's everyone has to put on a show, everyone has to appear to be doing the right thing, and so you've got all this subtextual dialogue, no one's saying what they really feel, but then all the really heavy-hitting lines in A Few Good Men are when that subtext is dropped and people are just saying what they feel. Every line in Pale Blue Eye is just people saying what they want to say, what they think they should say. It's just people complaining and arguing, and then the film ends, and then for some reason, half an hour after that, there's a second ending that I haven't wrapped my head around yet. I'm not sure if there's anything to wrap around. Right, Vicky, um, I started watching this with my husband last night and he had to leave the room because he was like, why Why do they make films so dark? I mean, this is... Look has already mentioned that the accents go all over the place. Like I said, Julian Anderson pops up and I think she's channeling her like Mrs. Thatcher performance mm. in, in The Crown combined with some kind of weird... Vig- anyway. And then also it's very, very, literally very dark. It is. Um, and that just made it hopelessly confusing for me. It's also another two-hour-plus film. I mean, this week has been full of long films. How Did, did you find much to enjoy, if, if anything, to enjoy? This is not an evening film. This is not like a big blockbuster Friday Netflix night. This is like... Like today, a drizzly afternoon background watch that you can somehow, you know, kind of get through it because you're on the couch and you may be doing a crossword or something. Um, in in such, that's just kind of the tone of it. It is. I wanted to really enjoy this. I love a kind of ghosty, eerie, um, almost a lot of Sleepy Hollow like cinematography film. But um, this is uh, some. It's just so slow. Um, in pacing and story and pick up and you know Harry Mellon is probably the saving grace that in Toby Jones's small um, mannerisms and such but Harry Mellon with as a gaunt kind of sick Victorian child which is perfect for Poe um, is the saving grace of this all and I'm like Lorcan said the second half completely threw me off but I'm glad it happened because I was quite worried they were going to make a sequel at some point throughout <laughs> this um, and, and in such that's probably all I have to say on it Simon there was there was quite a lot of chat going on on the WhatsApp about this last night to such an extent actually that Luke woke up this morning saw it and was like I won't be bothering with that but you quite enjoyed the first hour you say what went say, wrong for I you? enjoyed it for the first hour um, I thought Harry Melling was fantastic as Eric Allan Poe I would love to see sequels just with him you know just him investigating the missions you know it it, it was fun um christian bale was doing christian bale but it's great to see all the rest of the cast i mean why not we've had um, a nola holmes haven't we you've got nola holmes just a callum poe you know mysteries <laughs> i mean harry melling has been um i mean since the ballad of buster scruggs he's gone on to be one of the undersung harry potter child actors who's actually really really interesting to watch um, I didn't even realise Charlotte Kingsburg was in it until now. Um, it's just such a load of cast. But after about an hour, to be honest, I just kind of lost the logic of the film, the plot, where it was going. I thought it finished after 90 minutes, but as Lorcan said, they've added on an extra half hour, which may have been in the book, which is why they filmed it. It completely twists everything around. It's completely unnecessary. Finish the film after 90 minutes. You know when to finish it. Just turn it off at that point. Uh, and, yeah, in- enjoy what's there, and then just 
Forget the rest. Uh, yeah, I mean, to, to come back to you very briefly, Lorcan, are you surprised that so many famous people have agreed to be in this, even th- though they all seem to be acting in different films? <laughs> I can only... I mean, Harry Melling, I don't know what he's doing in Netflix, but he just seems to be exclusively Netflix and everything at the moment. But I think... I, I suspect it's maybe a post-COVID thing. People need something to do. You can film this pretty quickly and relatively cheaply, I'd imagine. You're with uh, would chums be my on assumption. set, maybe. I mean, I must have, I did think the set design... The set design in parts was quite... I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for a snowy kind of you know a snowy american woods so i did think the set design if we can find something i think to uh, it looks like it's one of the ones where it looked like the cast did actually enjoy it more than it came across well, yeah. maybe they enjoyed making it but maybe we can safely say we did not enjoy watching it so much if as vicky said you have a drizzly afternoon spare and you need a bit of a background watch but i recommend a very you need to turn all your lights off in your house and have a pretty big screen <laughs> it's like the battle of winterfell although otherwise it's a certificate 15 and it's streaming on netflix from yesterday so that is a wrap for this week. Join us in two weeks for reviews, which are going to include Damien Chazelle's Babylon, Kate Blanchett's much raved about turning tar, and Sam Mendes' Empire of Light. Did somebody say Oscar season? Um, but for now, thank you very much. Goodbye from the team. Goodbye. Goodbye. And we're going to play out with a tiny bit of Gladys Knight and the Pips version of Help Me Make Through the Night, which, as I said, did pop up in Corsage to great glee from me. <laughs> I'm imagining a lot of happy people and most of you are with someone you love well you are the lucky ones all over the world there are lots of people who are alone tonight I imagine most of us have been in that situation at some time or another I know I have recently I heard a most beautiful song with a dynamic lyric that really expresses this feeling of loneliness. It means a lot to me personally, and I'd like to share it with you. I think you'll see what I mean. Take the ribbon from my Take it loose and let it fall Laying soft against your skin Like the shadows on the wall The Cambridge Film Show on Cambridge 105 Radio